Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. So now we're coming to the time in our service when we're going to read the Bible, and then Ed, our vicar, is going to speak to us, and we're in 2 Timothy, which is, uh, I think, the last letter that Paul wrote chronologically, and we're reaching the end of that letter, and Georgia is going to come and read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and it's on page 1197, page 1197. Thanks, Georgia. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Wonderful, Georgia. Thank you very, very much indeed. Now, I've got a whole load of handouts here, which uh, I haven't given out, so uh, thank you so much, um, They will wander out towards you, and uh, there should be a pen uh, dotted around, so feel free to make notes if you'd like to, and do keep that open there on page 1197. Fantastic. Well, let me pray as we come to God's Word together. Words that we uh, heard last week, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we pray this morning that you might equip us through your word for everything that you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I guess... um, Death brings with it a a seriousness, a focus on what really matters. And I think we see this going on here in this letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, This is, as Sandy just said, uh, Paul's last recorded words. He is very much aware of his own mortality, that he is coming to the end of his life and he's expecting to die at the hands of the Roman Empire. And this whole letter we've been thinking about is a bit of a sort of changing of the guard moment. He's passing the baton of ministry on to Timothy and others like him. And it really, in many ways, leads to this point, uh, this letter, at this serious moment where he is really focused on wanting to hand the baton on, and he makes this big, solemn 
charge. It's as though everything slows down and there's serious weight to these words. Words that I think are crucial for every minister, every vicar to hear. Uh, Words that are crucial for every leader in a church to know. Uh, For every church themselves to know. And every Christian to know as well. These words here in verse 2, I give you this charge, preach the word. Preach the word. Uh, It's a really significant moment uh, reaching to this point. Now we're going to think about it under four headings. Uh, The charge itself, the context, the challenge, and the character. Um, Spend most of our time on, on the first bit here, the charge, because it is so important. Let me read that again from the end of verse 1. Paul says this to Timothy, I give you this charge, preach the word. Preach the word. Now that word preach, it means not simply from the pulpit, as I'm doing now, but it's a much wider word. It's the idea of a herald, a sort of public announcement that demands a response. So think of it like this. I was watching some cricket the other day. I went to a cricket match and it started raining. And if you know anything about cricket, there can't be cricket in the rain. You can't play cricket in the rain at all. And and the announcement eventually came. The players had come off and the announcement, uh, stadium announcer eventually said that play had been called off for the day. Uh, bad news, that was. Terrible news. Um, but it was, a, it, was a respons- it was an announcement that demanded a response. Uh, it would be very odd if I kept sitting there, insisting I was going to stay, I'm not going anywhere, um, I'm just going to wait. Uh, everyone, as soon as they heard that news, got up, left the stadium, because... Uh, It was an announcement that demanded a response. Or maybe think about it in a train. Train's broken down. The tannoy announcement comes. Uh, The train is broken. Please all get off. Uh, That is an announcement that demands a response. And that is what we're talking about here. This preaching, this heralding, is a public announcement. It's for everyone to hear. But we're to respond to it. So this charge, it is uh, publicly announced. It is... No, sorry, the charge is to publicly announce something that demands a response. But to announce what? What is it that uh, Paul is telling Timothy to announce? The answer is the word. He's to preach, he's to announce the word. Uh, The word, the good deposit, the beautiful gospel that we thought about earlier in the book in uh, chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, Actually, you see in chapter 2, it's worth flicking back, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you can see the word and the gospel and the news about Jesus Christ all brought together, uh, where Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So what is it that... Paul is telling Timothy to announce, it is to announce the word, the good news about Jesus, the beautiful news, the news about Jesus Christ, this person who is both fully God and fully human. Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. Jesus Christ, who is the saviour of all who put their trust in him. The one who died in our place so that we can be forgiven, who rose from the dead so we can know eternal life. 
this Jesus, this is the word, this is the gospel, which Paul tells Timothy to announce. This word that demands a response. And um, we see this word in the word, the word of God. And we thought about last week how all scripture is God's word. All scripture is God-breathed. I mean, any word is breathed out. Uh, My words now, I am breathing out these words. Scripture, God is breathing those words. They're his words. And it is this word about Jesus Christ that we're to preach and we're to proclaim. And verse 2 tells us we're to do it and to be prepared to do it in season and out of season. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, when it's convenient to do it, and when it's inconvenient to do it, when we feel like doing it, when we don't feel like doing it, when people are hungry for it, and when people are pretty apathetic about hearing it, when it's a popular message and a well-received message, or a message when it's met with hostility, when our culture loves this word, or when our culture hates this word, whatever the season, in season, out of season, we're to preach this word. And do you see there in verse 2 what it involves? It involves correction, rebuke, and encouragement. Correcting, rebuking, encouraging. And I love the way this appeals to different parts of what it means for us to be a human being. So the correcting, I think that appeals and particularly is addressed to our minds. This word addresses our mind. Particularly, perhaps you might be a skeptic. Might be you're just not so sure about all of this. Uh, or a bit confused about what the gospel is all about. Well, it's my responsibility to help explain what the gospel is all about. To put forward an argument, to engage our minds as to the truth of this. But also, is there to rebuke as well. And I think this particularly addresses our wills. Uh, when our sinful, our selfish nature, when it takes us away from God, as it does, God's word, it rebukes us. Tells us where we're going wrong. But also it's here to encourage us. I think that's really addressing our hearts. If we're feeling anxious or if we're feeling fearful, God's word being proclaimed, it gives strength for us. So we're to preach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage, and to do that with great patience and careful instruction. I love the way this is put in here, because there's a real sense in what Paul is saying. There's an urgency and a seriousness to all of this. Uh, Paul was someone who really worked hard at persuading people about the truth of this. And yet he's saying, look, we need great patience here. As we proclaim the word, we're not to be manipulative or forceful or to pressure people at all. We're not to bypass the mind or our reason or intellect. We're to be patient, to give one another a chance to engage with this word. And we're to do it with careful instruction. In other words, to take time to explain what the Bible is saying. 
And really, this, this verse is a brilliant explanation of what should be at the heart of my job, my role. Uh, about a week or so ago, James Bunyan uh, was ordained, as we heard about la- last week, uh, now curate here at St. Michael's. And there's a reason why this passage was the passage chosen to be preached on at the ordination service, because this goes right at the heart of what vicars, curates, ministers, pastors, whatever you want to call them, we should be all about. This is what our job is all about. Yeah, it's about lots of other things as well. We're to plan, we're to pray, we're to love, we're to care. But at its core, our role is to preach, to proclaim, to preach in the broadest sense of that word, to proclaim the good news about Jesus. That's what we need most. And that is the best thing that I've got to offer is, of course, Jesus Christ. But it's not just my job, not just James' job, not just Simon's job. It's the job of the whole church as well. It's the job of every Christian too. We're all a part of this. Uh, Whether we're supporting it, whether we're a part of it, whether we're to be doing it ourselves amongst one another, uh, just in friendships, in small groups, uh, in our workplaces, in schools, wherever we might be. And it's worth just recognizing the need is massive. Uh, a few days ago, I was in one of our local schools and I was uh, watching a lesson uh, that Huel was giving. Huel, uh, many of you know, uh, works for Insight, uh, a fantastic charity that we're very involved in supporting, which goes into schools uh, to deliver army lessons, assemblies, and uh, Bible clubs. And I have to say, I was really taken aback by how obvious it was that many in the class that Huel was teaching, bright kids, that they just knew almost nothing about the Bible, almost nothing about uh, the stories of the Bible, about Jesus himself, about the gospel. Uh, in theory, I sort of knew that, but actually seeing it was really quite sobering. Uh, It's not just uh, in any one school. This is a a, a national thing. Uh, There was a survey done by the Bible Society. Uh, This was done a few years ago, actually, back in 2014. That was the most recent survey I'd come across on it. But at that point, 23% of 18 to 15-year-old surveys uh, indicated that they'd never read, seen, or heard the story of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is often said to be, you know, it's the the story that if anyone knows any story in the Bible, it would be Noah's Ark. Well, 23% had never read, seen, or heard it. That's 10 years ago. It'd be even worse now. Uh, Here's another stat. 34% that came from this this poll, I think it was done by YouGov, 34% of 15-year-olds indicated they had not heard, read, or seen the nativity story. 34% of 15-year-olds. Well, that is astonishing, isn't it? That is incredibly sobering. Uh, the need is huge to proclaim, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But how will people hear unless we go and tell people about this? Uh, these words from Romans are on your handout, and they're wonderful words that Paul, in another letter, wrote this. How then 
can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If we don't go, if we don't tell people about the Lord Jesus, people just don't know. They haven't heard at all. It's why I think the ministry of insight is such an important ministry amongst many different ministries uh, we're involved in. But it is such an important one. And if that particularly resonates with you, then can I encourage you to to chat to Huel, chat to me. There are actually some cards at the back uh, saying a little bit about how one can be involved in the ministry of insight. But it is a huge need, a huge need to preach the word, to proclaim the word about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the charge. That is the charge that Paul gives to Timothy, that the Bible gives to all of us to preach the word. Now, it's helpful to think a little bit about the context here as well. Uh, This is an urgent, important task, but I think verse 1 is what really helps us see that. Let me read verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul writes this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Uh, A few months ago, I was in uh, Bushy Park, and I saw the beautiful sight of uh, a whole load of deer hurtling across uh, the park. It was a beautiful sight, but probably fair to say a fairly unusual sight. You don't normally see the deer just sort of running. Normally, they're they're just eating, aren't they? Or uh, just lying down, having the most relaxed, lovely life one could possibly imagine. Uh, But here they were, hurtling across. And I said, what's going on there? And then I opened up my vision a little bit and just saw the wider picture. And of course, you probably guess what's going on. There was a dog off a lead uh, about 50 yards further away. Uh, And then, of course, you would have guessed this, another 150 yards, there was an owner of a dog uh, running after their dog. Uh, A fairly well-known scene. You might remember the YouTube video of Fenton in in Richmond Park uh, going back uh, 10 years ago. And I, I tell that story because to understand what is what is going on in, in a particular situation. You need to see the wider picture. You need to sort of see the wider lens of, of what's happening. If we're to understand uh, our behavior, we need to see the wider picture. I mean, think about it in a, another context. At home, maybe uh, your housemate, your husband, your wife, your, your parents express surprise when they see you busily tidying up the house. And they're thinking, what's going on here? And then you explain, well, there's some guests coming around. Uh, That wider picture, the wider context explains why uh, such perhaps unusual behaviors going on. Uh, Or maybe uh, your children suddenly get down to homework and you're thinking, what's going on? Uh, It's not normally like this, uh, doing all this homework. And then you chat to them and you discover they've got an important test the next day. And that's the context which is driving them. The full picture, the wider picture, the context, it really, really matters. And verse 1 just gives us the context for life. It gives us the wider picture that explains why Paul is so big on this charge to preach the word. Uh, This is his context, and it's 
our context too. Let me read verse 1 again. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. It's just naming reality for what it is. We're always in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, Jesus Christ, he one day will return to judge us all. Uh, Those who are still alive when he returns, those who've died when he returns. He will return to judge. And he will bring in fully and finally his kingdom, the new creation. That is reality. That is just the context in which we live. But unless we see it and recognize it, the charge that Paul gives doesn't really make that much sense. So, I mean, why tell people about God and the gospel if if God is just a figment of our imagination, if he's not actually present, if he's not actually real? Why bother? Uh, Why call people to find forgiveness in Jesus if there is no judgment to come? Why bother? It doesn't really make any sense. There's no urgency to it if there's no judgment to come. Why make the effort when we don't feel like it or we get hassle for it to correct, rebuke, encourage one another unless God's kingdom is really real and unless being a part of it and living God's way is really the best way that we can live. Why bother with it? So to see reality for what it is, to have this wider picture in mind, it is so, so important. Uh, Now, here here we go. I'm going to put up here a timeline of the world. Uh, This is a world. uh, It's not to scale. So at the beginning, the the bottom line is uh, you've got creation there on the left-hand side. That's the start of history. And then all the way to the end of history, judgment day and the new creation. Okay, that is what the Bible tells us is history. And God is present, overseeing all of history. And there is us. Uh, Again, not necessarily we're right in the middle of history at this point. It could be anywhere along uh, that line. But there is us at this point, somewhere along the line. Now, what does our world do? What does our culture do around that reality? The reality of God, the reality that he made us, the reality that we're going somewhere, that Jesus will return and he'll bring in his kingdom. Uh, for all eternity. That is reality. But what happens, I think, in our culture around us, and so easily happens in us, is that all three get cut off. So we see the next slide. We, it's as though it's just God is cut out of the picture. We don't really talk about God in our secular age. There's an assumption that he doesn't exist, that he's just not there. Uh, we cut off the idea that we've been made by him, and we cut off the idea that we're going to be judged by him and that the new creation is going to come about. Uh, that's certainly where our culture's at, and it's very easy for us to think that way as well. And what happens when that happens? We're, we're just in a little box. We're just living our lives in a little box, and that's going to shape the way we view things. Whereas if we remember that God is present, if we remember that we're made by him, if we remember that we're heading to a day where we will meet Jesus, and crucially, if we remember that in all of this history, Jesus came and he died for us, and he's risen again, and he's Lord of all, 
remember those things. It, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. And we begin to see why it makes so much sense to speak of him, to preach of him, to tell others about him. It's just the most important thing. So there's uh, the context. The charge, the context. Third, the challenge. The challenge. It's really important to have this wider perspective uh, that verse 1 gives us because it's not easy to give ourselves to preaching the gospel. And it particularly isn't easy because of what verses 3 and 4 tells us about the experience of doing it. Because you see, the tragedy is, the challenge is, is that many don't want the truth. Many don't want to hear or know the truth. Verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I think those words, they sort of speak about a post-truth society. Uh, They speak of fake news, of echo chambers. It all feels very pertinent to our world today, doesn't it? Where in so many ways, what we're interested in is not so much truth, but our taste. Our taste so often trumps truth in our culture. And I think what often happens is this in, in the lives of so many in our world today. It is not that we kind of want to listen to an idea and an argument and then decide whether or not it's true. Uh, that's a sort of nice theory, but it's not often how we operate. We sort of think, okay, that probably should be how it is, that we hear an argument and then we sort of weigh it up, is it true or not, and then we decide whether it's true or not. Actually, what happens a lot, I think, in our culture today is that we decide what we want to hear and then we find someone who's going to tell it to us. Uh, we decide, what, what is it that I like, what I, what I want to hear, and then I'll find someone who's saying it. I think if we're following our sort of cultural conversation, we'll see that happening all the time, that we go to the sort of the TV channels that particularly appeal to us, on social media. Um, it's actually, it's not a particularly recent thing. It's, it's been going on all the days of print media. We sort of pick which paper best represents our worldview, and then we sort of go to that and stick with that. Uh, and actually, it goes all the way back, clearly, to Paul's time. Our psychologists sometimes call, talk about it being confirmation bias. Uh, we, we sort of look for evidence in the world to back up our already preconceived ideas. But it's not a good way to live. It's not a good way to go. Uh, It is irrational to do that. Rather, we should weigh things up and hear and work out what is true and what is not. But of course, our sinful hearts doesn't always want to hear what God says is true. So we can find ourselves 
pulled away. That is certainly true for our culture. And I guess we need to beware the tendency in our own lives as well. It is striking how Paul puts it here with these itchy ears. Uh, To suit their own desires, they gather around them. A great number of teachers say what their itching ears want to hear. And it's not a bad challenge for us just to think about where might we be itching? Where might we be tempted to be not really hearing God's word as it is, but rather be seeking to find people that will say things that we want to hear. And we can do it in all sorts of subtle ways. Uh, Sometimes we can sort of minimize certain parts of God's word in our own life. Uh, We go to certain verses time and time again that fit exactly how our view of God is, and we sort of slightly forget about the other parts of the Bible that give us a different angle on what God is like. Uh, Sometimes we deliberately avoid those parts of God's Word that sort of challenge us, maybe challenge our lifestyle, challenge our way of thinking. So we need to beware the tendency in our own lives and to keep coming back to to God's Word, all of God's Word. Remember chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. We need all of it so we can be thoroughly equipped. So beware this tendency in ourselves. But also, let's not be surprised or discouraged when we see this going on in others. Uh, Paul says that will be the case. Uh, Many people will not want to know the truth. And in those situations, how should we respond? How should we respond? Finally, fourthly, uh, that's what uh, we need to think about in terms of our character. Uh, The character needed. Uh, Let me read uh, verse 5 where Paul speaks of the character that Timothy, that we all will need. But you, he says, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I came across uh, this the other day. You might have, might have seen it in the news this week of a train station in Utrecht um, in uh, Holland. I think we've got a picture of it coming up. There we go. Uh, if you look closely there, those are just the steps coming out of a train station in Utrecht. Uh, but there is a slide uh, just to one side. Um, it is called, technically, the transfer accelerator. Uh, so if you can't be bothered to walk all the way down the stairs, you can jump in the slide and shoot off and everyone else can be traipsing down the hundreds of stairs and you can go on your, your way. And uh, we all love that, don't we? We all love a shortcut in life. We always love to avoid hassle. Um, and uh, you can see why they've done that, although probably it's pretty dangerous, it has to be said. Um, in, in Christian ministry, there is a temptation to sort of go for the transfer accelerator, uh, to go for the shortcut and to find an easy way through. But the truth is that rarely, if ever, exists. Uh, Shortcuts is a lovely idea, but the truth is actually ministry is not like that, which is why Paul gives us some really realistic things to think about as we go about ministry in a fallen world, in a tough world, a world where people 
won't receive the truth of the gospel easily. And he says four quick things here. One is to keep your head. Keep your head in all situations. The idea is maintaining balance when things are beginning to get unstable. Uh, Water's getting really choppy. Maintaining your your balance. Uh, Also the idea of sort of staying sober. Others might be getting intoxicated with the latest things, with the latest ideas, whatever it might be, uh, with the zeitgeist. Uh, We're too keep our heads. Uh, It's the idea of keep calm and carry on. So keep your head. Second, he says, endure hardship. Just recognizing it won't always be easy. It wasn't for Paul. It hasn't been for Christians down the years. It's not for Christians across the globe at the moment. Again, as we were praying earlier, we're recognizing that. And in all in our different ways, it's not easy living the Christian life, proclaiming the gospel. But we're to endure hardship. We're not to be tempted to mute those bits of God's word that will make our lives easier or more comfortable. That can be a real temptation. I mustn't do it. We all mustn't do it. We're to be willing to endure hardship, whatever that might look like. Third, we're to evangelize, to do the work of an evangelist we see there in verse 5. In other words, we're not to lose our nerve. We're to keep preaching, to keep sharing, whether it's fruitful or fruitless, whether it's really difficult. Yes, sensitively, with gentleness, with patience, as we were thinking about earlier, but to keep evangelizing to keep confidence in God's word because it is God's word, it is Jesus who utterly transforms lives. I guess for most of us here, we know that for ourselves. We know that the gospel has transformed our lives, that someone told us about Jesus and it just changes everything. And we're to keep confidence in that. The gospel is the best news in the world. And finally, to not give up. Don't give up. I think that's what Paul means when he says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. It means to sort of fulfill your ministry. Don't change what you're doing. Don't despair when it's hard. Don't give up. Find your inner Winston Churchill. Never, never, never give up, he said Now that's true for me, that's true for all in Christian leadership, whether you're leading a home group, a small group, whether you're serving our youth and children, teaching them the good news of Jesus, whether it's just discipling, encouraging one another. It's true for every one of us. And how can we do this? Well, just love to bring us, as we close, to... Uh, one final verse, Hebrews chapter 12. And to see the example of Jesus Christ and what he did. Read, read this in Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's coming up on the screen. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, let's do that now. Why don't we just quietly uh, take this moment to consider Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, and to remember this charge that he has given us to preach the word, the beautiful news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just take a moment of quiet. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Father, we pray that you might help us to be a church, to be individuals who see reality for what it really is. The reality of your presence, the reality of all that Jesus has done for us, the reality that he will return to judge the living and the dead, the reality of his kingdom coming. Forgive us, Lord, when we live our lives uh, sort of boxed off from those realities. Give us that wider vision. And with that in mind, give us a passion, give us a heart to preach, to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus. Lord, he is the hope of all the world. Lord, please, with that, help us to receive him ourselves, to be open to his word, the correction of his word, the rebuke of his word, the encouragement of his word. To be people who long for truth, that don't turn from it to lies and myths. And we pray that, Lord, so that we might know the joy and the life and the goodness of life in your kingdom and that we might offer this life to many. We pray this for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.